All right, we're continuing our series we started several weeks ago called Divine Misunderstandings. And here's what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, the statements that Jesus issued in the New Testament when he said, you've heard this, but now I tell you this, right? You've heard this, but now I want to kind of explain it and give you the background and give you the heart behind it because I think we have a divine misunderstanding. Now, I'll give you the uh, outline of where we've been if you're just catching up with us or you're new today. Uh, these topics sort of flow like this. You know, they're, they're very heavy. Murder, adultery, divorce, breaking our word. Today, we're going to look at an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But how, how many of you were here last Sunday? How many of you were here last Sunday? I was not here. I shouldn't have my hand up. I was not here. Uh, but I went on and listened to the podcast, and I'm telling you, uh, Pastor Mark, that was the best sermon I've ever heard on that scripture. It's the best one I've ever heard. If you, if you haven't uh, heard last week's message, I highly encourage you to get it. I've never heard the heart of God described behind the issue of divorce like, like I heard on the podcast from last week's message. So if you've missed any of them, I encourage you to, to jump on and catch up. Uh, that's, that's certainly what I've done. Um, several years ago, a, a tired truck driver who had been driving long hours in the uh, humid summer pulled his rig over into an all-night truck stop because he was hungry, wanted to get something to eat. And weary as he was, he went and plopped down in a chair, and he ordered his food. Uh, and no, there's nobody else in the, in the restaurant. And about that time, these three sketchy guys, you know, came rolling up, kind of rough ends, rolling up on motorcycles. And they saw this trucker, and they decided it was a, you know, they wanted to make fun of him. So they start, you know, saying things to him, derogatory things to him. One of them walked over and, and jabbed his finger down in the middle of his hamburger and one of them grabbed his french fries and ate some of them. And another one poured salt in his coffee. And they're just kind of pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And, uh, and, and the, the truck driver, just weary as he was, was doing everything he could not to react. And he just kind of slid out. And as he slid out, the waitress followed him. But she just sort of wanted to see how this was going to happen. And she's looking out the glass window of this old diner. And he gets out into the truck and takes off and... About that time, one of them three guys said, he's not very much of a man, is he? And she said, I don't know anything about that, but I know this. He's not a very good driver because he just drove over three motorcycles that were sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> Isn't there something inside each one of us that kind of likes it when people get what they deserve? Be, right, I mean, be honest, right? Right, right. Okay, okay, okay. Well, unfortunately, that's exactly what Jesus talked about. Unfortunate for us. Matthew chapter 5, 38, 39, he says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. My guess is this is one of the top five passages that people outside the church would recognize. People who don't read the Bible, who don't pray, who don't go to church, who, who probably aren't even Christians, at least, whether they, maybe they even quote it, but they at least recognize this verse. It's right up there with, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. 
And here's the danger, though. The danger is when a thought becomes pervasive in culture, it usually loses its original meaning. And this is what Jesus is kind of pushing back on. These commandments were intended to bring a limit, not a license. A limit, not a license. So last week what you heard about divorce, the commandment in the Old Testament about divorce was intended to limit it. But now fast forward hundreds of years and people are using the very thing God intended as a limit as a license to divorce for any and every reason. And so that's why Jesus said, you know, you've heard it said, now I say unto you, a couple of weeks ago we talked about keeping oaths or keeping your word. And that was intended to limit making promises that you're not going to keep. Instead, it was now be used as a license to deceive people, right? And so this is the same thing that's happening here. These laws were given in the Old Testament, or this particular law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, were given in the Old Testament to empower the civil justice system to make sure the punishment matched the crime. You don't have the crime and then the punishment. They were making sure it matched. The intent was not for individuals to take matters into their own hands. Like, you did this to me, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Here I come. I'm going to be the enactor of justice. That was never the intent. So, uh, I think it tends to be human nature in us to not match something that's been done to us, but to exceed. When I was a, a, a young uh, person, I was probably 16. I'd been called to ministry. I knew I was called to ministry. So I, I was part of a smaller church, and I just hung around the church every opportunity I got. I just wanted to soak in, drink in, learn everything I could learn. And so I did all kind of odd jobs because around churches there's all kind of things to do. And I did about every one of them. And so one day I was out behind the building uh, washing one of the church vans. And it was hot and uh, humid. And we, I love, grew up in Memphis, so, you know, the asphalt's just radiating heat. And I'm, I'm just laboring away at this thing, you know, not complaining, minding my business. Our church had a little daycare with it. And it just so happens where you had to wash the vehicle was close to the daycare playground because uh, the hose, that's where the hose was. And so I'm hosing, and all these little kids come up to the fence. You know, they're about three or four, stick their little fingers through the, and they're looking at me, you know. And, and I'm laughing, hey, you know, hey, you know, we're all, it's all fun. And this one little kid, I go up to him just to talk, just to say something nice. I wasn't trying, you know, I just, hey, how are you guys doing? And this one kid said something smart, you know. And then he went, <laughs> spit on me, my face. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. I hadn't been saved that long. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, somebody needs to teach this little guy a lesson and I think Jesus has appointed me to do it. I really do. I feel, I, feel, I feel he needs to learn something. So I took that water hose with the power spigot on the end, and I gave that kid a new haircut. I split him right down his forehead, and he went flying backward like a Muppet. And I'm telling you, I didn't turn the hose off when he hit the ground. I like, Kah! kids were running everywhere like this. They were hanging, ah! Bah! I held it on him. I said, 
you will never spit on another human as long as you live. As it turns out, um, how do I say this? Our pastor's wife was the head of the daycare. Thank God this is before lawsuit happy America. Because, I mean, it would have shut the thing. Um, she, how, how could I say, he was grace, she was truth. Is that clear? Um, she found out. She got him and sent him to come run interference. He was the happiest man I've ever met. But not that day. He came out to me and he said, hey. And I saw a look on his face I've never seen. You know, I think his wife was about to kill him. You know what happened? And I told him, the kid spit on me and I pinned him to the ground. <laughs> Don't worry, he won't spit on anybody else. He said, you can't do that. Like that kid was soaked down to his underwear and he didn't have a change of clothes and we had to call his mom and she had to leave work to come change his clothes and this is not good. And, and I, I was starting to set in on me that maybe this was not good. And I, and I began to think about it, but I thought, I remembered the injustice. So I thought, I'll just, I'll just, with a little softer tone, I'll just lay that out there. I said, but he spit on me. He spit on me. And I don't know, under divine unction of the Holy Spirit or something, my pastor looked at me and said, what did Jesus do when they spit on him? Oh, you got to bring Jesus into it? Like I was fine. I felt good about it till right then. When someone hurts you, it's human nature to hurt them more. Right? It's human nature. You see this even in little kids. One child bumps into the other, and then that one ramps it up, and then he retaliates higher, and now the next thing you're on the ground, you know, in a, in a twirl. Nations do the same thing. One nation's offended and retaliates, and a greater offense turns into a greater offense that becomes a war. After, after 9-11, we saw that emotion rise in America. As a nation, we were in shock and throbbing in pain. And there were a lot of uh, songs written in the aftermath to try to capture the spirit of America. And I just wanted to read you the words of one of these songs because I think it illustrates this point that Jesus was trying to get to. Listen to this. Now this nation that I love has fallen under attack. A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. Soon as we could see clearly through our black, big black eye, man, we lift up your world. I'm sorry, we lit up your world like the 4th of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of the list. And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist. And the eagle will fly, man. It's going to be bad. When you hear Mother Freedom start ringing in her bell, and it feels like the whole world is raining down on you, brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue, justice will be served and the battle will rage. This big dog will fight when you rattle his cage, and you'll be sorry that you mess with the U.S. of A. because we'll put a boot in your behind. It's the American way. And I'm not here to debate um, 
what military action we took or what we should have done or the f- over 4,000 people's lives that were lost in that tragedy or the military personnel who've laid their life down in defense of our country since then. I'm, I'm not here to debate that. I'm not a pacifist. I believe in self-defense, and I support our military. I do, however, have one question. As Christians, is it the right thing for us to celebrate revenge? That's the question. Is that what we want to do? Is it a good thing for us as believers, New Testament believers, to rally around revenge and celebrate it? I'm not, I'm not debating the military strategy. I'm saying as believers. We're hurt. What does Jesus say to us? We hurt you more? I, I, I'm not questioning the strategy. I'm questioning the heart. Is that the heart that, we, we, that Jesus wants us to have? Human nature is to long for revenge, but we've got to find out how to reconcile that with what Jesus said. Now remember, this law was intended to limit escalating revenge. You hurt me, I'm going to make you hurt more. Jesus was not dealing with the math. He was dealing with the heart. So what was the heart of adultery? Lust. What was the heart of murder? Anger. What's the heart of an eye for an eye? Revenge. And Jesus is dealing with the heart. Jesus was saying, this law was given to you to limit excessive punishment, but you've used it as a justification for revenge. But the law, watch, was powerless. If you know your New Testament, you know this. The law was powerless to change our heart. Because we find ways around it. In the Old Testament, people are governed by the law because of the hardness of their heart. That's what Jesus said. Moses allowed you to divorce because of the hardness of your heart. But in the New Testament, people are governed by the heart because the laws are written on the heart. It's a whole different approach. So when Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, he's not saying, this is the old math, now let me give you the new math. He's not saying, one eye for one eye and one tooth for one tooth. He's not saying, I'll I'll see your tooth and raise you a tooth. Okay, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, let's stop doing math. And now let's do heart. That's what he's saying. So I just, I just want to give you that backdrop because he gives four examples on what this means. And if you read it the way that I read it, you're immediately going to be drawn to the math. And I'm saying if you read the math, you're going to misunderstand what he's saying. It's not about the math. So let's look at the examples. The first example is Matthew 5.39. If anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, a slap in the face is not a violent assault, but it is an, an incredibly offensive thing. It is disrespectful and offensive and insulting. But it's not going to harm you. You're not going to die from a slap in the face. You're probably not going to have any broken bones, but, but it is insulting. So what's Jesus talking about? What do we do when we are offended, insulted, or disrespected? We don't slap back. 
Jesus was the perfect model. 1 Peter 2.23 says, While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now, I think one of the areas that we could really um, shine as Christians in this area is social media. And I think in public discourse, and I think in public interaction, the more crowded our world becomes, the more disrespectful it's going to grow. And the less we're going to value people. So as a society, I think we've nearly lost our ability to respond to offenses and even disagreements in a healthy way. There's finger pointing and screaming and, and, and uh, uh, accusations on people's character and revenge. And when we're offended or afraid or angry, we're most tempted to respond with revenge. Uh, Karen, Karen Swallow Pryor, English professor at Liberty U University, has given... Um, some really awesome thoughts about how Christians can act on social media. And I just want to give them to you quickly. Here, there are nine of them. Number one, treat people on social media like actual people because they are. So, so what does that mean? Picture everything you say on social media as if you were standing in the middle of a crowded room and would you say it? So nobody would walk into a crowded room and go, oh yeah, well Republicans this or Democrats this, truth bomb drop, ah, and then run out. Nobody would do that. Then don't do it on social media. Because you are talking to a crowd of humans. You're not talking to, you know, internet world. You're talking to real people. Number two, be yourself. Self-explanatory, isn't it? Number three, ignore what experts tell you about using social media to build platform. Instead, use social media to serve people. Number four, talk to people not at or about them. Five, don't exist in the echo chamber. In other words, listen to people who you disagree with. Because you'll probably learn something if you listen, and they probably will too. But you can't do it just yelling at each other. Six, be mindful of the fact that believers will give an account to God for every idle word. So before you reach for your phone and just fire something out there, weigh that. Seven, be known more for what you are for than what or who you are against. Man, some people are supposed to be, I can't figure out what, what, I can't figure out one good thing that's ever happened in their life because every time they post, they're against something. Man, what are you for? What are you behind? You're not just investing your entire life on what's wrong, are you? Man, that's not Jesus. Jesus was investing his life in what was right, what was good. Whatsoever things are good and pure and lovely, think on these things. Number eight. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Nine, be sure the fruit of the Spirit's identifiable and manifest in your social media interactions. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5 tells us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Pretty good stuff, isn't it? All right, here's the second example. Matthew 5.40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So glad nobody wanted to sue me when I pinned that little kid to the ground. But is there anyone left in America who honestly believes that we wouldn't be better off with less lawsuits? I'm not saying there's not a legitimate purpose for the legal system and all of that. But think about it like this. It's better to lose your coat than it is to lose your character. Whatever you're willing to fight over 
is the value of your character to you. It's not about how much do I give up. It's about how do I resolve this conflict and protect my heart from revenge. There's very few things that turns the, the, um, the non-Christian world off to the church rather than looking inside it and seeing fighting and conflict and division and mudslinging. We absolutely lose our testimony. Because, because non-Christians look at the church and say, we do that? If, if your God can't make a difference there, why would I follow him? Because that's where life really matters. The Bible actually prohibits Christians from suing each other. And maybe that's the reason. Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the next time you have the impulse to pick up the phone and call me, Alabama, <laughs> maybe, I'm just suggesting, maybe you want to think about it and ask, is this the Christian thing to do? Am I seeking revenge? And is this necessary? Third example, Matthew 5, 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. You know, as Americans, we enjoy so much personal time and freedom. We go where we want, when we want. We do what we want with whom we want. But imagine working out in your yard and a soldier coming by and saying, you got to stop cleaning your yard and you got to take this backpack and you got to carry it a mile. And imagine if that soldier was from North Korea. And then Jesus says, hey, he asked for one mile. Don't do one, do two. Because that's the scenario that the Christians were in in the New Testament. They were under Roman occupation. Can you imagine how this would feel? Nobody wants to do somebody else's work. And when we do, we usually complain. Jesus says you can take the sting out of the situation by going the extra mile with a cheerful attitude. So here's, here's the principle. More surrender is better than more revenge. So the next time someone takes your time or personal freedom... What should you do? Give them more. They'll freak them out. They'll, they'll think you tricked them. They'll be like, wait a minute. What are you trying to do to me? Nothing. You're burning my time like I've got an unlimited supply. So I'm going to give you some more. What would that do? That'd shine a light, wouldn't it? Here's the fourth example, the last one. Matthew 5, 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now remember, here's what you have to remember. Because when I read stuff like that, I go, like all of it? Because if you start being the giveaway guy, everybody's going to come find you. Right? So, uh, so Remember, it's not about the math. It's not about the math. It's about the heart. This doesn't mean give everything you own away. What it does mean is Jesus is attacking the materialism that lives so deeply in our hearts. And when we see someone with a genuine need and we have the means to meet that need, we should meet that need. 1 John 3.17 says, Whoever has the world's good and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? What's the principle? People are more important than stuff. Do not use people to get more stuff. Use stuff to serve people. And when we get that backwards, we've missed the heart of God. It's not about the math. It's not about how much and where's the limit and when do I know. It's not about all of that. It's about the heart. 
Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever's kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. See, life's not about our rights, it's about our response. So how do we respond when we're offended? How do we respond when we're hurt? When, when we were uh, pastors in Mississippi, I always wrestled with this because um, we, our, our church was just a few miles from I-10, which, by the way, goes from Jacksonville, Florida, to Los Angeles, California. And I think everybody on I-10 at one point or another came into our church asking for help. Because it, it just was a constant traffic flow. And I always struggled with that to say, you know, how, how do we balance? How do we do? How do we keep our church running? And how do we help the number of people coming by who want help? And, it was, and I, I've, I was never good at it. It was always complicated to me. And I always... You know, you're always trying to wonder, is this person just putting on? Are they telling a story? Is this the truth? Are they really in a jam? What's, the, what's really the best way to help them? You can't just, everybody that walks in the door, you can't just hand them money. That's not, that's not the, you're actually not helping people sometimes when you do that. You're actually hurting them. So, I, look, I've never been good. Uh, uh, my son and I were just out in Texas this past week, and, and we parked the car, and a guy's waving us into the car, and we get out, and, our, and I, I think he works there, and I, and I get out, and he says, hey, man, how about some money, or how, how about helping me? And just on the spot, I went, oh, man, I, I, and I thought, this poor guy, he's poor, he's out here, and, you know, we're going in here to eat, and this, who knows when he's eating. So I just give him $5, and I thought, I, I felt bad for him. And, and, and here we go, we get out of the car and we come out on the way back. Now the police have got it and he took my $5, he went and bought some alcohol with it and now, now he's drinking the, and then they got him and I went, I didn't help the guy at all. Like I hurt him. I didn't mean to hurt him. I was just trying to do the right thing. It's complicated, isn't it? It's not, it's not easy. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. I used to ask God, God, why won't you just tell me like in Matthew 4, you know, 81, something, a verse we don't have yet. Why don't you just write in there, when, the, when somebody asks for this, you do this. When somebody has this need, you do this. And that's what you're supposed to do, and that's all you're supposed to do, and you have to do at least that much, and that's the way it is. Why don't you just make it clearer? And, and it hit me one day, I think the reason that Jesus doesn't make it clearer, because if he made it clear, we would just do the deal, we divvy it out, and we divorce our heart from it. And I think God actually wants it to be complicated. I think God actually wants it to be gut-wrenching. And I think he actually wants us to question our heart. And he wants it to be painful. And he wants it to be personal. And, and Because we don't ever want to separate our hearts from conflict or punishment or consequences or reaction. Or especially how we respond. Because if we just knew the mathematical calculation to do, we would just fire it off you know, through, through, push, through uh, online somehow, through PayPal, and we'd separate ourselves from it and we'd be done. And our heart would grow cold. And I think God actually wants us to try to weigh, hey, this is a real person with a real life, with real feelings, and what do we, what do, we do? What's the right thing to do? I think he wants us to wrestle with it. I can tell you for a fact, in my life as a person, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life all have to do with people. Always. It's not about company or organization or, or even leadership. or it, It's not even about God. The decisions I have to make with God aren't as hard because there's only one of us that can be wrong. <laughs> it's always me. It's never going to be him. 
Those are simpler. But, but doggone it, the decisions with people. How are they going to take this? And what are they going to think? And what, how are people going to interpret this? And, 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 and is this enough? Is this too much? Is this going to help? Is this going to hurt? Man, it's complicated. It's gut-wrenching. It's gut-wrenching. And, and I think in some ways that's the way Jesus wants it to be. He won't make it clear because he wants our hearts involved. He wants us to wrestle with it when it comes to people. Because he always wants us to question, is this revenge? So I have three questions for you and we're done. Number one, how do you respond when someone offends you? Not when you're prepared, when you're unprepared. When you're blindsided by an offense, what do you do? What's your natural instinct? Number two, do you protect your stuff more than you love people? Would the people who know you the best describe you as generous? It's a, it's a it's sort of gut-wrenching question. Three, do you sacrifice personal freedom and time to help other people? These are the issues. Jesus wasn't trying to deal with the math. He was trying to deal with the heart. He's trying to get behind this whole issue of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what it says. Well, Jesus says, that's what it says. But here's what I say. So would you stand with me this morning? You know, one of the things that's so um, clear is God's never responded to you or I in revenge. Like you and I have done things to God that aren't good, and He's never responded out of revenge. You know why? Because He loves you. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come, and if you'd just close your eyes and open your heart. A couple things this morning as we go. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, would, would, you just, would you just pray this prayer with me right where you are? It doesn't have to sound like I sound, but would you just ask God to soften your heart? Would you ask God to search your heart? That, can you imagine how much better marriages would be without revenge? Can you imagine how much better friendships would be and relationships in the church? Can you imagine how much better parent and kid relationships would be if, uh, if there wasn't any revenge? No retaliation in the heart. You got me, I'm going to get you. God, soften our hearts today. We, we really need it. Like there's not a person in the room that at some point in their life hasn't felt revenge. Hasn't felt the, the fire of revenge and offense. So God, I just ask you this morning, search my heart. Come on and ask him. God, search my heart. God, I, I, I don't, I don't want to live in a way that offends you. I don't want to live in a way that chases people away from you. Well, Lord, I, I pray that you would put a new heart in me. And I pray I would live by that new heart and the rules that you've put on that heart. 
God, that I would live not by the math, but by the motivation to please you in all things. So this morning, I, I, I just want to give you two invitations. One is, if you've, if you've been offended, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that you're wrong. It's not wrong to get offended. You may have been done wrong. That's okay. Everybody gets done wrong. But if something painful is coming to your life, now is the time for you to bring it to Jesus and just to say, God, help me. Help me to respond the right way. If you need wisdom this morning in responding the right way to a painful situation, just want to ask you in a minute to come for prayer. If today you need prayer for any reason, I just want to ask you to come for prayer. And, and, uh, and, then, and then as soon as we do, we'll dismiss, okay? So as I begin to pray for you, if you need prayer, I want you to come. And, uh, and the worship team in just a minute is going to begin to sing. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would draw every person that needs prayer. You would draw every person that needs a touch of your presence. That you draw every person that needs the ministry of your presence on their life. Lord, we pray that you would do now what only you can do. So as the worship team begins to sing, if you need prayer, I want you to come. I just want you to come right now. Without anybody looking around, you just slide out and say, I, I need God's help today. I need God's touch. I need God's favor and blessing in my life. I need the Holy Spirit to help me.